0: Are you feeling stuck, lost, or confused about what to do next in your career? Then the Manifest Your Career podcast is just right for you. I'm your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career mindset coach. I help successful Latinas who are battling self-doubt, self-sabotage, and imposter syndrome. I teach my clients how to combine their intuition, skills, and knowledge so that they can manifest their dream career. It's time you start listening to your inner wisdom and guidance. Tune in each week to the Manifest Your Career podcast and learn how to align your mindset to your career goals. Keep listening and together we'll manifest your dream career. Hi everyone, welcome back. This is episode 47 and today I have another guest for you. I can't wait for you to hear her career journey. Her name is Celinda Farias Appleby and she is the Director of Global Talent Acquisition for Visa. Celinda is a recognized leader in recruiting and employer branding. She has thrived in the global talent acquisition departments of Fortune 100s, creating innovative digital strategies for industry leading companies like Nike, Oracle and HP. Celinda specializes in designing premium experiences and stories centered around humanizing the talent attraction cycle. She's a recruiter by trade and has previously held recruiting roles within corporate and agency enterprises for the past 10 years. She's an avid sneakerhead and baseball mom who resides in Portland, Oregon with her 14-year-old twin sons. Thank you, Sally, for joining us. I can't wait to hear all about your career journey and the career advice you're going to offer us. But first, tell us about your family background. Where did you grow up and who did you live with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a big fan of you for so long, following you on Instagram miraculously, I think last year, um, over your vision board class that you did. So it's been super great uh, following you at your, your career path as well. So my family is Chilean, and uh, my parents are teen par- were teen parents when they had me. Um, and we lived in the D.C. area, Silver Spring, Maryland, to be exact, is where I grew up. And I grew up with all my siblings, my grandparents, and I would say that in a true immigrant fashion, a plethora of theos and tias coming through as they would immigrate into America, we were always the host family.
0: Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we didn't really grow up with our extended family, but every so often when my mom's family would come every few years, yeah, it was the... Um, yeah, you're not in your room today. you sleep on the couch. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah. So my dad is one of six and all of his siblings moved to the DC area. So we grew up as a huge family. I'm like one of 40 cousins. Um, and I was very lucky. My generation got to hang out together quite a bit because our grandparents would host every Sunday. So I, I will say family wise, I have a very large, you know, healthy family. Thank God.
0: It's beautiful. I'm sure that helped with a lot of different challenges you guys faced. So when you were young and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you recall telling them?
1: I love this question. I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, all the time. From day one, my little Barbie's name was Samantha Smith. (laughs) She was an attorney. (laughs) Um, And I think I carried that passion all the way through high school. I was part of the Future Lawyers of America group and even got to go to court with that group and stuff. I obviously didn't pursue that path because law school was very expensive and my parents didn't have the money to afford any kind of college, to be honest. And so I will say the rude awakening happened um between high school and college registrations where i changed my path
0: okay and whom do you recall as some of your earliest career mo- role models that you imagine yourself growing up to be like
1: do you remember christina the, sh- the talk
0: show? yes <laughs> yes you could be there love- too <laughs>
1: Yeah, I loved Christina. I always wanted to like be her. And you know how she always had that that sentimental side and she could get people to open up. I will say that that was probably my first idol. But I've always been a huge fan of Oprah too as a child. I just think that they have, both of them have a way with people that I admired. Even with tough, difficult conversations, they were able to really get people to open
0: up. Yeah, I totally forgot about Christina. So it was good. It was good. So then now tell us about your educational background. Did you go to college right after high school? And how did that unfold for you?
1: Yes, I did. Um, I went to Trinity College in D.C. I actually applied to numerous places and got into all of my accepted uh, colleges. I was, you know, fun fact, I was a little bit of a nerd growing up, cool nerd, if you will. Um, But I, you know, my parents were immigrants, so very studious, you know, focused on my studies. Um, And so I got into all of the schools, UPenn, University of Maryland, but uh, Trinity gave me a scholarship. And, you know, with our financial situation, it just made the most sense. Um, college was very hard for me, because Trinity was a private all women school, all of my peers that went there, which I'm still really good friends with, came from private Catholic schools. And I grew up a low to middle class, you know, area, very diverse, more Latinos and black African American folks than Caucasian folks. And I will not say my education was bad. But when you compared it to a private upstate New York Catholic education, I definitely struggled to catch up to my peers.
0: Yeah, definitely. I would imagine it's more rigorous. And then you also probably had somewhat of a culture shock, too.
1: Oh, I don't think we did homework in the way that these women did homework, you know, or the books that they had already read and they hadn't been in that Catholic education system, which I had not. And so I will say freshman year was very hard. I also lived on campus. So it was the first time I was away from my family for an extended time. And I, of course, took full advantage of the freedom. So if you combine that with struggling for the first time, because I've, I've always been an overachiever with freedom, I will say freshman year is hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went to a state school. So, you know was it more rigorous than my probably low-income education but (laughs) i'm sure it was and i don't really think that was the problem why i didn't do well my freshman year i got like a my 2.3 gpa i didn't even realize how close i was to like being like at academic probation Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but yeah fortunately i wasn't and i knew that i needed to change something part of it was just that i had never learn how to actually study right because I would go to class just be there take a few notes and get an A Mm -hmm. but in college I mean I guess you can kind of do that if you pay attention but I don't think I ever paid attention in class in the beginning like I just figured I'd just sit there and somehow just pass the test like I always did before
1: Yeah, I agree. Plus, our class sizes were smaller in college. I think my largest class was like 35 women. And I came from such a big public high school that I think there was so much attention also that was being given to me that I wasn't used to in college. And I always and I had to work, you know, so part of my student loan required, you know, me working in the student affairs department. And I will say my peers weren't in that same similar boat, not to make excuses, but I agree with you. I definitely wasn't taught to to study or sit. I don't even think I had homework that much growing up.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. You're probably right. I don't know. It's been too long for me to really remember. So I had the opposite experience. Um, It was like in a classroom of like 500 So all of my freshman classes were like, you know, I was one in a sea of people and, you know, even though it was only an hour north, it did feel like I was like one of the very few brown people in the class. Like, you know, out of the 500 at the time, the university, I want to say, was about 70 to 80 percent white. Now it's a Hispanic serving institute, but at the time it wasn't. And in my time there, it was transitioning, but it was a difficult to really just feel like I fit in. Okay. So now I want to hear how your career unfolded after you completed college.
1: So during college, I bartended and I was really good at it. Um, And I made a lot of money, you know, and and to be fair, I had to work all through high school. And so I forget what minimum wage was, but it wasn't what is now. And so comparing like my minimum wage job at cashier job at Kmart to the bartending, it was like night and day, you know, immediate cash flow. And so when I graduated college, I didn't want a job. I just wanted to stay bartending. And of course, you know, my immigrant parents were like, are you crazy? Like, no. And so they forced me to get a job at least part-time in an office setting and I ended up at a staffing company and I was adamant I was like I'm just answering your phones you know with my little clickety clackety long <laughs> acrylics and I, and they're like okay well you're never going to be a recruiter and I'm like I don't know what that means but I'm gonna just answer your phones and we had a clear understanding and I got hired immediately and to To flash forward there, I was a terrible receptionist, but a really good recruiter. I hung up on people all the time, but we would sit in these meetings back, you know, back then it would be like a bullpen and they would talk about their open recs. And I would say, well, what about that, you know, candidate that came in? I'd pull their file, I'm like they're a perfect match. And so within a week, they pulled me from the front desk and moved me to the bullpen. And I will say immediately fell in love with recruiting. I love, and not so much the process and all of the minutiae that comes with the job, but I love helping people find a job that's going to elevate them. That's been the core of how I've recruited my whole life.
0: Yes, I absolutely love that. Um, So one of my first jobs out of college, just like my second job, was working for Human Resources for Six Flags. And I loved the interviewing part where I got to decide where they went in the park. And I like to pride myself that I did a great job. I still do a great job picking who I select for my team currently. It definitely is a skill, right? And seeing that people have value, you know, every person has a value. It's just a matter of finding the right role for them. So that's amazing. And it sounds like you learned that really young. I wish I had had a similar opportunity because I I know that I love the whole staffing industry and everything, because I just think it's like an opportunity to learn about industries, but not really being in them.
1: Correct. No, and I worked for a finance and accounting firm. And I, to this day, still count with my fingers. So I can't say that I was like, really good at the finance. side. I remember we had a, like a client call and say they needed someone with journaling experience. Now we know what journaling means, right? General ledger and whatnot. I took that as like, journaling in your diary. And I was like, Oh, my God, I write in my diary every day, too. So I was definitely a mess in my baby, you know, recruiting days, but I agree, it's a skill. And I think it's centered on that core human piece, right? Because if you're able to see this person in your organization, it's a matter of finding where, right? The the job can be duplicitous, but what team will they shine the best at? That's the part I love.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, your current org is lucky to have you. So now I want to hear how that first job to where you are now. Let's share your career journey.
1: Ooh, so I stayed in staffing for quite some time. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Jo- job hopper is a word that doesn't even make me feel bad because I definitely have been a career mover. Um, and I tell people to do that. Um, primarily because you have to right, find the right fit. And second of all, there's more money on the table. And sometimes as a Latina, they know that they can hire me less because I was making less. Right. And so they give me a little jump. It's been great. So I jumped around in staffing, supporting multiple amazing clients for different roles across the C-suite all the way down to reception and really loved it. In 2007, the economy, you know, we had our first little economy crash. I was also pregnant with the boys. I have twins and I, um, And I decided, I was like, you know, I want stability. What does stability look like? I'm a big law of attraction and vision boarder, which is how I found you. And so I sat and mapped it out. And for me, corporate America became an obsession. And so I started really trying to figure out how to break into it. And I broke into HP. I I, I introduced you to my friend Gina Porto not too long ago. Um, Her brother got me the job at HP. And... um, that was in 2009 or 10, and I joined as a recruiter and stayed at HP for about five years. The beautiful part, what I will say about HP, is that they had an amazingly well-ran uh, human resources operation or a people org, and you were able to raise your hands to try out new things on top of your work duties, and that, to me, is amazing. Like I love a little, little buffet of career mobility. And I learned employer branding and recruitment marketing in that capacity. Helped them launch a career site. I I helped them create a Facebook for the first time. I mean, this is so antiquated. But because of HP, I completely changed from recruiting into the recruitment marketing space or talent attraction, as you call it. Everybody calls it something else. And I've been sitting in this space for the past 15 years. I left HP, went to Oracle. Then I went to Nike. And I'm currently at Visa.
0: Amazing, amazing. Well, I won't make you share any cheatsman on any of those, but <laughs> <laughs> happy to share.
1: Happy to share. Um,
0: so, in your current role, can you tell us just a little bit more of what you're currently doing at Visa?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I've been with Visa for about three and a half years. I am the director of global talent attraction, and basically, how I like to describe that, you know, to you, my parents don't really get it yet, but. I'm responsible for all of the tools, strategies, tactics um, that the candidate engages with or a job seeker engages with before they hit apply. Once they hit apply, it's another organization's, not a problem, but you know, it's a little swim lane to manage. So this means things like managing the career site, managing our technology tools like LinkedIn and Glassdoor, managing all of our digital profiles, content, stuff like that.
0: So interesting. So kind of like the candidate journey, you have like the first leg of it kind of the front end. Yeah. So now a little more about you and your career. So what has been the most influential experience in your career so far?
1: That's a hard question. And and I did read it before. So (laughs) I will say having children definitely changed me. Um, And and what I mean by that is people will call me type A or super organized. And I have an internal little chuckle because prior to having children and I will say probably age two or three, I was not organized. I was the friend that was showing up 45 minutes late, you know, like your true blue tia, right? Like always, you know, never very organized. But having twins or being a mom in general, I think kind of forces you to be a little bit more organized. And I've been able to carry that into my career by being more organized and more detail-oriented and focused on time and calendar, that has allowed opened doors. Because you know, leaders love that, right? Leaders love the good, organized type A human. And because of that pivotal change, I will say has opened more doors in my career.
0: Mm, yes, motherhood will change us. And sometimes... <laughs> You know what we need because for me i feel like it was the opposite when you said that people would call you type a and then you had a chuckle is like i'm sure lots of people probably called me that in the past and maybe some people still do and i'll look back and i'd be like i really wasn't that rigid but then i have to admit i really was pretty rigid <laughs> But I've grown since becoming a mother, and the way I became a mother was a little bit different. I became a mother at twenty five to a four and a half year old. You know so you know, I didn't have to do that. I like to say, I didn't have to do the diapers and all of that stuff, but I also had no idea what the heck I was doing. <laughs>
1: Listen, I love that you started at four and a half. I sometimes I mean, I joke all the time that that for me, like the baby stage was really hard, because I like instant gratification. And I love real time feedback. And babies don't do that. (laughs) So when they started talking and being more vocal, you know, when people hate the terrible twos and threes, I love them because I was finally able to get some sort of reaction I could yeah. work with.
0: Yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know that it made it any easier for me since, like I said. Absolutely
1: <laughs> not. And I will be totally honest with everyone. I wasn't the the one that like babysat my siblings or even volunteered to babysit. Like, in fact, when I was pregnant with twins. My entire family was like, "Oof, but uh, wow, okay." (laughs) Like, I there wasn't a maternal bone in my body to you know you definitely get it you do you do get
0: it with your children yeah yeah no that was absolutely me like I probably had changed a handful of diapers in my lifetime yes. and no babysitting anybody so yeah i completely clueless like <laughs> I think at one point I had told my mom and I don't even I look back and I'm like why did I even tell her that that wasn't even true but it just shows like how our mindset you know we are so in our mindset that we don't even realize like later we're like why would i say that i would don't think that now right but i remember telling my mom like i don't think i want to have kids and she's like yeah that's okay not everyone's meant to have kids and i was so like taken aback like that's rude mom <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, i can't believe you said that because i said i wasn't getting married and i said i was never having children and my first fiance was the same like we didn't want to have babies and ultimately right uh, Right before we got married, I had this, like, really big change of heart. And I'm like, am I really going to marry someone or never? Like, what if the, I changed my mind? Like, what if I do want to have kids? And so I'm glad that my heart changed and reconsidered. But I do think... My whole idea of not wanting children came from a place that we were so poor growing up. And it seemed like such a struggle to be a parent in that environment. And I think when your life changes, right, even if it's like little baby changes, you're able to open up your heart and mind to new possibilities. And I think that that's what happened when I was like, okay, yeah, I'll have babies.
0: (laughs) I don't even know why i even said it i can't i i, I can't i'm not even in that same headspace whatsoever i'm gonna try to see if i can find any journal entries from then to see like what was going on that made me think that because now i'm like why would i say that i knew i always wanted to get married i knew i wanted to have kids why did i say that in those moments but you know what my mom said like stuck with me Where like her, i guess her yeah. reaction too was so accepting right latina mom like she already did have some grandchildren so maybe it wasn't as big a deal but um, yeah
1: but you still want her to be like no you're having
0: a baby (laughs) something it must have been i don't i i'm like why i don't know but anyway
1: maybe you were going through a rebellious stage and you're trying to push maybe and then you got exactly (laughs) what you didn't want you're like what is this i don't want
0: this that yeah it could have it could have been that right and then you know became mom Um, And for anybody wondering, um, I became a mom to my niece. And so it was uh, an interesting experience becoming a parent at 25 from one day to the next. I had, like like any typical 25 year old, I drank and ate my money. And yeah, that's pretty much what happens, I think, at 25.
1: (laughs) Yeah, would expect nothing less.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then, now, what have been some of your career challenges that you have faced?
1: Okay, this is such a good question, because I will say, adaptability, I'm so adaptable to feedback, and I love feedback. But every job that I've worked at, and and I'm going to just center this conversation on corporate America, because that's sort of like the sweet spot, I think. Every company has their own culture. Every company has their own, you know, vibe or mantras or, and I find that I come into every job being the person I think they want me to be. And then learn quickly, like, Oh, we don't do that here. Like we do it this way. And then I adjust my sales and I, you know, flourish in that job. And then I go to the new job and all of a sudden the things I have to unlearn what I learned before. And I don't think they do this to well-represented groups of human beings. I find this is a struggle that happens more to historically excluded humans. Right. And I think it primarily, you know, speaking as a, as a Latina first gen, I think it's easy to say, Hey, I don't like the way you wrote that email where you probably wouldn't coach a Caucasian male the same way. And those have been some of my harder moments.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can see that I can definitely see the times and it's not just um maybe Caucasians that are doing this, but also our own people. And it could just be that someone a person of color is just more comfortable coming to another person of color with an issue versus a white colleague.
1: Oh, it's definitely our people you know, the ones that you think, oh, we're comfortable. I can be myself around you. And then it's a little clip here, right? It's never like a big clip. It's just a clip of your soul one time, then a second time. And then before you know it, you're not yourself. And that's usually around the time I'm like, okay, I need to leave here. Like, where did Selinda go? You know, who who am I
0: now? Yeah, that is so true. You're making me, you made me have flashbacks of an old supervisor that I had and some of the conversations that, you know, I'm like, at the time, I think I didn't ever say anything because it was like, I, I already knew like there was no, no point. Even before I had found out that there had been numerous like HR complaints about her to HR. And so You know, some of the things that she had mentioned, like, um, so she hired me from a different unit. I'd had an experience for a year. I came in, and pretty much everybody in the team was leaving as I was coming in. I picked it up because I had already worked for a different unit, knew the job itself, not the department, but I picked it up and went running. And when it came time to do my annual review, she's like, well, you know, you haven't been here that long and you've had these write-offs. And mind you, like those write-offs were not my doing. Like they just, I just happened to be the one that'd be to be there. And so she's like, and I really actually didn't want to hire you for the position. I'm like, what did you even hire like who says that and why would you hire me if you weren't interested after i'm here the one running this because there's no one else everyone has obviously left because you suck and she's like but your previous supervisor did rate you well so you'll be getting a raise like okay like i earned that raise thank you and i immediately wanted to walk out of there and just 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 cry and if for everyone that knows me personally like that's not my character but that's how hard that stung. No I bet
1: and when you said that your manager said I didn't want to hire you that's what happened to me at HP this I fought so hard for that interview as an internal promotion from recruiter to program manager they gave me a measly pay bump and don't get me wrong HP was a great company even my kids will tell you like the perks were great and I think I learned a lot. But that one manager said to me, you know, I, you were never my first choice during annual review. And I don't know, but it stung. Like, it just really broke my trust. I was unable to fully ever trust her, even though her, the backhanded compliment was like, what you proved yourself and you, you had a good year, that how she started it was just the end for me.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It made me think of another time where I worked at this grocery store. As a, this was like a teenager, I worked at this grocery store, and the manager when he hired me, he's like, "I'm gonna go ahead and give you a a chance. I'm gonna take my risk with you." But I really wanted to work for the the company. It's a grocery store. Everybody knows here. Everybody loves the store, and so like. At the time, like I was like, yes, he's giving me a chance. But then as time went on, like, like, I think maybe that same day or a couple of weeks later, like, but I'm an amazing person. I'm a hard worker. Like, what do you mean you're taking a chance on me? Like, what does that exactly mean? Like, if you don't, if you don't think I'm good enough, why are you hiring me? Like, you know, these mixed signals that we get.
1: Yeah, and then they set us up for failure because we feel like we have to prove ourselves, which if you know anything about people with anxiety, you know, which I consistently have, you know, having to prove yourself being an overachiever, being a type A, you make more mistakes because you feel like you have to be this amazing person that you gave a chance to. And I have heard numerous times throughout my career, we're going to take a chance on you. You don't have this or you're missing this piece or that – nobody wants to hear that. Just hire us. Nobody wants to hear that you're hiring a token or you're hiring someone that needs your help. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, these microaggressions will just begin to come to light more as more people talk about them. Right. I don't think I ever shared that with anyone.
1: No, I never say these things out loud. I will say, though, I want to go back to what you said, where you're like, this person had so many HR complaints. You know, you, you later found out, but you never said anything. Me too. And I will say that was my experience at Nike, at Oracle. Like I kept having microaggressions. People would say things that the employee handbook or an employment attorney would be like, what just happened? But I, I never felt comfortable going to HR or going to that, you know, that website where you can anonymously complain. I just don't think it's in our DNA as Latinas to go, right? Like you don't want to lose your job. You don't want to put a spotlight on yourself. What happens when they bring us both to the table? It's that conflict resolution that I struggle with on a daily basis you know, who do I tell? Like, wow, you said something really inappropriate to me. Who do I, who do I tell? Where I will say well-represented groups in corporate America don't feel that way. Oh, they will in one second contact the VP of HR and let them know what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and going to what you said about like, who do we tell? Yeah. Who am I going to tell? What am I, I'm going to tell my mom that, and what is my mom going to tell you? She's either going to not really have a response or just be like, pues, you know, mija, dale duro, right? That's it.
1: That's exactly it. I stopped telling my family about my corporate problems. In fact, I don't even tell my family when I interview anymore. I just kind of just
0: say, you know, I'm <laughs> getting a new job
1: because I don't think they understand the why I'm leaving, the process of looking for a new job. Um, you know, if they had it their way, I would, as- I would still be at HP
0: yeah yeah i know i don't i don't know that my parents i i don't even think uh, well i i don't think i my parents don't even know what i do (laughs) they know that i work from home and it's funny yeah they probably just don't think i do anything all day
1: I think my, fam- my family still thinks I'm a recruiter because that whole top of funnel situation I explained to you is too much, and it's fine. It, they love saying that. Oh, meja te va ayudar con un trabajo. Just email her. You know, she'll help you. So I, I, I think they enjoy that, and I don't take that away from them, no matter what.
0: I'm gonna have to ask my parents. What do you tell people? I do. Um, funny just random I just thought about this whenever I started my business in 2019 I had gone to breakfast at our taco place nearby by my mom's and and I was like oh mom I started a business and she's like oh okay what did you start a business of and I said oh I'm selling myself and you know I meant it as a joke but (laughs) she just looked at me like oh what but you know I mean literally I'm selling myself
1: (laughs) absolutely but i'm dying over here on mute <laughs> i can already see her face <laughs> like,
0: i know right <laughs> i know and she knows me and my personality so she's probably trying to figure out like well i know you know you don't mean in la calle but what but, do you mean, yeah. do you mean? <laughs> i don't even know that i could fully like, explain it to her then um i don't even remember what the rest of the conversation was i just uh, I don't you and it's like unlike me to me even make jokes like that but apparently I needed to that day. <laughs> okay, so now tell us what has been some of the worst career advice that you've received.
1: This is a really good question. I think um When I first started my quest for bettering myself as an employee in corporate America, and it's a quest I'm continuously on, some of my first mentors were Caucasian men or Caucasian women who I think can get away with, not saying their advice was bad per se, I think their advice was warranted and very... um, good that they could pull it off themselves or people that look like them could pull off, but I couldn't. And, And some of that advice definitely got me in trouble in the way that I communicated. So for example, you know, some of my, when I went from HP, I was managing five people to Oracle managing 20. That was a very big jump of people management for me. Um, I was ready for the challenge. I got to build my own team and it was a very exciting time, but still motivating the masses as a leader of a big org was new to me. And so I remember hiring like a career coach, if you will, to help me. And some of his direction was very, uh, male, masculine aggression. That was not necessarily my style, but I quickly took it because I was like, esto lo que se hace en corporate America.
0: <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> and I will say, it didn't take, like, that wasn't my leadership style. So maybe it just didn't work. It didn't land very well. My team was global. I had people in Europe. I had people in, you know, Latin America, all over. And that was bad advice, good advice for a people leader, you know, just lessons learned now is there isn't one style for everyone. You know, as a human, you have to adjust per human, right? You can't just have broad strokes and treat people the same way with the same expectations as much as you may want, right? Because if we think back, those are the managers we hate, right? You're like, why do we all, why are we all under the same expectations? And so I will say I try my very best to receive feedback from women that are in the same place as me, on the same path, because I find that we can commiserate with same problems and problem, maybe even problem solve better than folks that have maybe gotten away with being that way. But that's not necessarily the right way for me.
0: Yes, yes, I love that. I always say that you know, take take what you need from the piece of advice and then make it your own because what will work for someone may not work for you and what works for you may not work for someone else i definitely can can see the differences now after working with a peer who was caucasian and she you know she and i worked really great together and we learned our our styles just based in, you know, being, becoming friends in our leadership styles, but also how we ran the team. And so I was like, if it came to writing an email, I wrote the emails for the team. When it came to discussing the information, she presented it because I could say the exact same words and it just did not come off because I just don't have that, that, you know, you just got to know your personality and it just wasn't in me. Right. I think I've changed my personality since then as well. Not that I've changed myself, but me as a person I've grown and changed. Right. And so, you know, she would deliver some message and everyone would see it as warm and fuzzy. Even if she was telling you you're about to lose your job and people were like, she's so nice. And in the background, like just, and not that she's not a nice person, but she was like ruthless right? And I'm actually the person who's very considerate of everyone else, but I'm probably considered the ruthless person.
1: I find that because the stereotype, right, when you Google Latinas, you see Latina angry, Latina, you know, other things that are more sexual in nature. But for the most part, Latinas are labeled as angry, right? Your Latina girlfriend's gonna beat you, right? And it's just a stereotype that has been permeating it we're getting better this generation is not going to tolerate it and i love our children for that but because of that stereotype because of the very limited films or or music that we make it into mainstream america i find that i combat that too i could throw in a happy you know friday right with a unicorn and say the same thing <laughs> that my colleague is saying and like, wow are you upset today and i'm like what no like it's just very direct to the point and what do you mean right but i think it comes with having to shake that perception that people have developed about latinas
0: yeah yeah definitely it's so interesting just to because. I would never even consider myself to be like an angry spicy person because my demeanor is very muted. My mom's demeanor is very muted. So, you know, I didn't even realize that there was the angry Latina stereotype. And now, you know, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense why I would be told certain things and be like, but why would people think that?
1: I have a great story. I've always been taught in my work career to just get straight to the point right and i think it came from years of me being like fluffy perhaps like you know too much information or too much fluff is what i used to hear and so now i'm very organized in my emails like who, what, why, they're very clean. Um, And I had a manager that would say, you know, it would be great if you asked Patty about her kids in soccer, or maybe if you asked about their weekend or or whatever. And I remember saying to them in my annual review, like, is this something you're asking everyone to do? Because no one's asking me about like my kids potty training right now. And her face was like, oh, and I'm like, I'm happy to do it if it's like all of us are doing it. And I think it comes again from that, like, they either want us to be labeled angry or maternal, right? Like the, ma- the Latina, you know, housekeeper, the Latina housemaker, right? But I-, I have gotten so much better at pushing back and making sure people know, like, I hear you. But I also don't notice anyone else doing it. So are we all going to start doing this? And once you put it that way, I think people are like, oh, okay, I can't really push her around.
0: Took me a long time
1: to get here, though.
0: Yeah, I I was going to say that next, right? Like over time, you kind of build that up and you reflect back on all of the situations that, you know, it. It just happens. We all have encountered those. And the more we talk about them, the more it can be exposed, right? Because we're just not used to talking about these. Mostly because we may not even know who we can share this with. Your peer who looks like you, you may not feel like you can divulge that information to them. And you may feel embarrassed. I know that a lot of times when my boss spoke to me the way she did, I was embarrassed. you know, And I would talk to one of my peers about it. You know and she would just she'd be like i can't believe she said that to you right but that's kind of where the conversation would end a lot of the time and you know i, I think you know part of staying there was i was hoping to move into leadership and then at some point in my mind i realized like okay like the opportunity to move up to leadership is never going to happen and it has nothing to do with an opportunity it has to do with the fact that this person does not see me as a person that she wants in leadership.
1: And that's such a hard realization to come to, because I think we've been raised, it, it, no, regardless of your family background, to think you know the American way is if you work hard, you will be noticed and you will be rewarded. But the reality is that culture is not so much so in corporate America for our people
0: right right and it's definitely more maybe blue collar too mm-hmm. versus white collar because and even if you went back i'm pretty sure white collar has always been less about yeah
1: it's all the politics
0: your work and more about
1: <laughs> yeah i'm telling you i mean i think I said this the other day on a on a work call when I was advocating for our, our team to be a little bit more um, forthcoming with information of what they what people of color can expect in the interview process. I use the example that we don't know, like our our dads, our uncles aren't SVPs of finance at you know, a fortune 500 or, or the director of technology, like we didn't grow up with that. So it wasn't like that was permeating into now my kids, your kids are to be super lucky because being a director, being a leader in corporate America, how we talk in our emails, that's going to be normal to them. You know, that's an easy attainable goal for them. Right now we're living the dream that our parents hoped we would, you know, achieve by being leaders in corporate
0: yeah definitely definitely i hear my son you know he's only six say words that i'm like i don't even think i knew that word until maybe i was in college (laughs) so true It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's how much a difference, even even if I had no degrees, right, I was still the same person because essentially a degree doesn't make you. You are who you are. You make yourself. I think that, you know, it would still influence him. Right. My parents had zero degrees. And here I am with a Ph.D. So who you are is who you are. Right. My parents instilled not just that education was important, but that I was important enough to achieve that.
1: And hello, let's celebrate your Ph.D. because Your career is amazing. You're highly educated. You're doing such amazing things. I don't think we celebrate you enough. So,
0: woohoo! Thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't celebrate myself enough for sure. You guys, don't you? No, okay. I do have the PhD up there. I was gonna say, do I have my PhD up there? I do. But I do have like other degrees on the floor that I need to put up. So the next question is what has been some of the best career advice that you've received?
1: I love this. So the best advice I've received is, is recently. So, um, I, I, I shared this on social media, but I got accepted into a leadership class here at Visa called amplify your leadership voice. It's primarily centered on using your voice, for impact versus noise, which I really appreciate. Sometimes I feel like I just talk so much and nothing gets done. But that advice, yes. um, so we've been getting taught by Cornell professors. And one of the pieces of advice she said is that women are so scared to do the next thing. You know, Go for that promotion, go for that bigger job, leave the company, do a risky thing. Right? Whereas like men, Oh, immediately, they, without thinking, yep, sign me up. I don't even care what the job description is, right? And what she said was, isolate the fear before you tackle the risk. And that, to me, was so black and white. And the premise of that is, before you take the risk, there's a reason that you're held back. What is that? Well, you know, for example, for me, some of my things are, oh, I can't be without a job. You know, I can't not have benefits, right? So if I put myself out there and they reject me, then and I'm unemployed, what happens, right? But if you isolate the fear and you realize I'm employable, I'm gonna get another job, or they're not gonna fire me, you know, then all of a sudden the risk feels less risky.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that. Women definitely need to take more risk. Next question is what career advice do you want to share with our audience?
1: So the best career advice that I can offer is be organized in your career, right? And and not necessarily do I believe careers are linear or growth is linear. My growth has definitely been zigzaggy with a lot of downs sometimes. But if you organize yourself with a goal and your goals are going to change. So I I recommend that you revisit your goals often, but if you are goal oriented and I want a promotion or I want to move departments, or I want to join a FANG company, you know, a a Facebook, a a Apple and, and are very descriptive with your goals. It makes the path much easier as you grow in your career. And what I mean by that is, for so many years, I knew that I wanted to climb the ladder, but I didn't really have a goal or a final destination. And you're not that I'm in a final destination mode, but things just kind of happened and I'd be like, okay, I'll accept this interview. Okay, I'll take the offer. And I kind of allowed the universe or just hapstand sort of formulate my career. And I've been very lucky but i want you want to own that right it's your career and so being able to be very delineated in what jobs you want to take what duties you want to have what titles you want to own i think make the process so much easier as you climb that ladder
0: yes yes i love that um i think for myself right just to kind of on the other on the flip side of that if you're a person that's very goal oriented because for me you know when i came into this company i'm like my eyes were like i want to be a vp and really in most roles like i want to be at the top 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 and for myself though i think and you know everyone listening just take the take what works for you and see where you are right like don't just take anything we're saying and it's gold it's gold if it works for you it's trash if not (laughs) and you know for me i think for like having that is great but sometimes when i set goals then i actually wrote down these notes from yesterday that i went with a client don't chain yourself to an idea don't chain yourself to a goal and remain curious as to where your career journey can go because when we fixate on this one tiny little position that seems like the world to us we shut ourselves off to all the other opportunities that may come into us right and so you know yes set a goal goals are important you need to have somewhere you're aiming otherwise you're just gonna be floating around and the wind will take you but by you know setting that goal also just continue to look in the peripherals and see what's going on right what exactly what other opportunities coming to me what is my intuition telling me
1: no i 100 percent agree i think um by allowing outliers you know phone call a random call from a recruiter that you weren't expecting take it You don't know where it's gonna lead. The title may not sound like my goal, that stretch goal, but it's a good company. So I absolutely agree with you. I think my advice is coming from a place where I was so disorganized with where I was going um, that I think that kind of, not that it held me back, but maybe I could be a little further along than where I am now had I had more of a organized mentality towards that. But I don't regret anything. I mean, I've worked for some incredible companies, done some great work. What I do regret is not championing for salary. I've, I used to never negotiate. And I'd be like, okay. And then come to find out I was always below market. That's another advice. Research the salary Make sure you ask for more. There's always more money there for us. Like I honestly, I do believe, um, especially Latinas. I mean, it's, we already know we're made pay equity report in November release that, you know, at that time, I want to say it was something like 81 cents to the uh, you know dollar of a Caucasian male. So we know there's money on the table for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There always is. Um, And, you know, to follow up on that, like if you're negotiating, because I know I attempted to negotiate when I came into this role, not this position, but into the company. And at the time they had the talent acquisition recruiters, all of that laid out differently. And so, you know, I was trying to negotiate with the recruiter and she told me no. Like she didn't even take it back to the hiring manager. She just told me no. Now being on this end, I realized what she did was not okay. And they've you know changed the processes because who knows how many other people they were doing that to, because um, now like we have to approve, right? And they have to come back and it's a whole actual process versus it just being very verbal um she told me no and then she also had the audacity to tell me that well i was getting a big raise from where i was coming from which okay. yes i'm getting a big raise because i'm already underpaid working for right. a nonprofit. profit
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> people forget that part that we're making up for years of being underpaid years
0: yes yes and fortunately something i will say you know is that one of my peers she's now a director but she really pushed for us to pay our staff more when we were when we were hiring people and i'm proud of that now at first i was like well you know everyone else is making this and she's like yeah but why not it's not like it costs us anything to bring them in at the highest possible that we can and now i do i am one of the only people to do that but it's because why not you know in behavioral health we're already underpaid why am i not going to bring these people in as high as possible that i can do it
1: I don't even care what you were making before unless I can't pay you, right? And then I'm like, oh, I got to be honest with you. I want to hire you, but I can't afford you, you know? But other than that, to me, it doesn't matter. This is what the job is going to pay a purple person, like, you know, nondescript of color, race, gender, (laughs) you know, anything. And I'm going to give you as high as I can get away with all the time. I always have been this way.
0: That's great. Yeah. And there is at least in corporate, there is always more, you know, what I can bring people the highest, it's the highest that I can do it without approval. Exactly. You know, if I really like a person, then I can actually go above that. And it sounded terrible. (laughs) If the person is valued at a higher rate, you know, I don't want to sound like if I like you, it's not like a personality. It's like a good fit thing.
1: No, 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 no. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So now, um, was there anything else that you wanted to share with us?
1: Oh, I think this was so good. Thank you so much for having me. It was some really great questions. No one ever asked about my family. So thank you. They'll, I'll, I'll send them the, the podcast link. They'll, they'll enjoy being a part of it.
0: Yes, yes. I like to share that because I feel like a lot of times, you know, we see people in their professional careers and then we make these assumptions that, oh, she must have had family help her or she must have come from an affluent family or, you know, her family, you know, we, we just make assumptions. Um, same thing for even people who are white, like two of my peers. I just assumed that they were they grew up middle class and you know one of them she talked about like they sometimes had to sleep in the back of her dad's camper because they didn't have anywhere else to sleep or live and i wouldn't have known that if i hadn't gotten to know her and it really is like okay my assumption was you grew up middle class because you're white Mm -hmm. and i had a boss too who same thing you know he grew up in the trailer parks, and he shared that after I got to know him. But again, I would have not assumed that, right? And not saying that I assumed everyone, a person of color is like me, but I kind of do, I kind of, and then that's when some of this disconnect happens, because, you know, just because you're a person of color doesn't mean that you grew up like me, either.
1: 100%. I have some of my... Best friends are people of color who went to private school growing up, who are definitely upper middle class, you know? So I I love this question, though. I think it grounds us all on upbringing, because I do think that influences who we are today in our careers.
0: Yeah, definitely. Did you want to share how anyone can reach you if they're interested in just following you on social media?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Sally underscore speak on Instagram and Twitter. And then I'm Selinda Farias Appleby on LinkedIn. You can add me as a friend or you could follow me, whichever is your most preferred method. I'm pretty active on Instagram, but I will say Twitter is my most favorite channel. Like no one follows me there. (laughs)
0: Why is, I say all random things. Why is Twitter? I want to know. I know I see you posting a lot there. Why is Twitter your favorite? I want to know. I like hop in and hop out of Twitter, but I I just Instagram is my favorite.
1: I mean, I love Instagram because it's pretty. So the aesthetic is really nice, and I feel like it's curated. I think you know, I see it more as like like a Pinterest of ideas uh, from people I love, but. Twitter is kind of like a free for all and I think people just go on there and say whatever they want. It's it's not so prim and proper and you know, I'll talk about my water heater problems, my children who I call my roommates, I'll talk about work, you know. And so it's I feel like the expectation is you could be a little bit more yourself. There, no one is expecting you to show up with your suit on. Is kind of where I'm going with it, and I think that allows for a lot more genuine conversation.
0: You know, it's funny you talked about you know Instagram being aesthetic and stuff. You can look up like it, their NATO charts, like their astrological charts, like of the companies, and Instagram's like a Libra, which is very much about the aesthetic and looking, you know, pleasant. And I want to say Twitter is like an Aries, which of course, you know, it's like, don't care. Just, just whatever
1: you want to say. Yeah. Fiery, you know, you get a little, the T is always on Twitter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being with us, Sally. I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode.
1: This was fantastic. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. And I know we're going to talk more after this.
0: Yes, you know it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Manifest Your Career podcast with me, your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career and mindset coach. Learn more today on ManifestYourCareer.com.